Well, uh, wasn't expecting that, but thank you. That is so awesome. And I appreciate you too, because it would be really silly of me to stand up here by myself. So uh, I can't be a pastor unless you're here. And so I appreciate your time, talent, and treasures uh, every week in and out. And we have been through a lot in the past few years. Uh, but you know, the thing I was just talking with Mark yesterday, we were kind of recounting how we've come to, to be where we are. No matter what has happened, the fact remains that WordServe is still standing. Uh, and we're standing on the Word of God. And so that tells me with everything that you can imagine going on, and if you want the history, I'm happy to recount it, but suffice it to say, we're still standing, and I think that's for a purpose. I think God has a purpose for us. And I could not be more excited about the future. The lead team asked me uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, am I sleeping at night? I mean, I stand up with all these concerns and cares about everything that's going on in the denomination. I said, you know, I'm not sleeping, but it's not why you think. I'm not sleeping because I got like a million ideas firing off in my head about what we're going to do, and it's going to be awesome. So uh, thank you for being Word Serve Nation, and uh, thank you for letting me be your pastor. Uh, eventually, the background check, you'll find why I shouldn't be, but until then, we'll just enjoy the ride, right? <laughs> well, on that note, let's talk about the way forward uh, and uh, where we're at <clears throat> in this sermon series. We talked about our mission and our values. Today, we're going to talk about our vision. We're going to follow it up next week with our leader and then a little raw, raw speech about we are WordServe. Because like I said, I got a million ideas and maybe one of them is good. So we'll talk about that. But let me ask you this. How many people have ever played the telephone game? The telephone game. Yeah, good, good. Yeah, so, <laughs> so when you uh, stand in a line and someone whispers in the ear and then you whisper in the ear and, you, and eventually you get down to the point and it's nothing like what it sounded like when you started. And sometimes it's absolutely hilarious. Uh, sometimes it's R-rated. But it's always different than what was said in, in the original piece of this. Now, I imagine that you have probably encountered this as well. Because if you are uh, around people, if you are a parent, or if you have parents, <laughs> think about that for a minute, uh, you probably have experienced what this telephone game can be like. Let me give you one quick example. As a parent, you tell your children... I want you to brush your teeth and make your bed in the morning. And you tell them that. And does that work? No, no. Because they forget or they need to be reminded. So how do you solve that problem, parents? How do you make sure that they know to make their bed and brush their teeth every morning? A checklist. We write it down. That's, you spoke like a pilot. I am so proud. <laughs> Eventually, we'll all speak Air Force. This is awesome. So you write it down, and that's the point. You write it down, and it's not confusing. So we do this in our adult lives too, do we not? When we enter into a business deal, we write a business contract because we want to write it down so we don't forget. Now, picture that same game of telephone where someone starts the conversation, but instead of whispering in your ear, they hand you a note card with the message written on it. And your job is to pass the note card down the line. How do you think the message will differ by the time it gets down to the end of the line? It won't. It will be pure. It will be a pure stream, and the message will be clearly communicated all the way down the line. Now, I have a theory. I have a theory that this whole original thing started because of the telephone game. Think about it. What happened in the Garden of Eden when uh, Eve was talking to the serpent, right? He said one rule. You can't eat from this tree. Pretty straightforward. That's what God said. But what does the serpent say? Is that what God really said? 
telephone game. See, telephone game is funny when you play it and people just can't understand it or they misconstrue the meaning and they pass the message, but this is a little more sinister telephone game because it's intentionally trying to change the message down the line. Now, if God had written that and handed it to Eve and Adam, they could have referenced it back. And the sad thing was they knew. She knew the answer. He said, well, he said that we shouldn't eat from that tree. Is that what he really said? Surely you will not die. So he begins to inject the message, and the message begins to cause their faith journey to stray. Not in a good direction, by the way, if you know the story. So I think had... Eve and Adam had uh, written language. Had they had written instructions, it would have been better, right? I don't know, because God tries that too. He does write it down. He writes down the Ten Commandments. So there could be no misconstruing what he means. This is the Ten Commandments. These are what I want you to live by. And Moses takes them, and Israel sees them, and life is good forever, and we never have any more problems, right? Right, if you live in a fantasy world, but if you live in the real world, we recognize that even writing them down, we have trouble as human beings. Why is that? How do we fix that? Because more than anything, I want to be, as I said in the prayer, I want to be on God's side. I want to be on the right side of things. I want to follow his instructions, and we talked about this in our mission. What is our mission? Make disciples, there you go. It's not really complicated, but it is very hard to do in reality. And I'm going to reference back to the slide that we used during that because it's this teaching them to obey uh, model, model that we looked at. I borrowed this from uh, Brent somebody. I mean, I can't remember his name, but he's in the, the D.C. church, community church. So we start over on the, the left side with a revelation. That comes from God when we see what God's intent is for us. The next thing that we need to do once we see God's intent is to obey it. Now, that's on us. If we see from God and we obey, then we are transformed, and that is done by God again. The good news in this three-part process is we only have one job. (laughs) One job, you got one job, and that is to obey the revelation. So if God wrote the Ten Commandments, it was clearly divinely revealed, what's the problem? Why aren't we transformed, and why don't we look more like God wants us to look like? Why don't we look more like Jesus? Well, clearly there's an issue going on in the middle, and that issue is us in our obedience. So we talked about this before, too, in our mission. As people who are in this family together, and as we try to live this life in obedience to God, the best thing that we can do is not point out everything that people are doing wrong, but point people back to the revelation of God. And let God do a work in them that makes them see clearly. And when they see clearly, then it's on them to obey. I can't obey for you. I can't even obey for my own kids. I mean, you know how this is, parents. You can make a kid obey. But what happens when that kid grows up and all they know is someone who's made me obey and now they get out in the world? What happens? (laughs) It's chaos. It's absolute chaos because they've never developed that for themselves. They've never had the ability to self-discipline. So the best thing that we can do is point them back to the revelation, let God do a work in them, and then the obedience comes. And if the obedience comes, then transformation comes from God. But there's still a problem. In fact, this model is so instructive, I spent hours trying to edit this so we're not here all day. So if I get going too long, uh, Rana's going to give me the cutoff, right? Like she does every week. (laughs) Anyway... (laughs) So here's the problem. 
uh, revelation, it, it looked really good in that other model where we just go back to someone and go, hey, you know, God says this, and they go, oh, right, yeah, my bad, I'm, I'll change my ways, if only, right? If only it were that easy, but it's not. Because we have a bent in us, we have a twist from that original sin that causes us not only to obey, but to outright disobey. And when that happens, it doesn't matter. We will be transformed, but not into the image of God. We will be, uh, maybe a better way to say that is we'll be warped, warped by sin, incapable of being a channel of God's love and grace by sin. And that is through disobedience, our one job that we had. So this can go very, 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 very south uh, because of our uh, disobedience. The other problem is sometimes that revelation, and if, you, if we're going to get into the scripture here in just a second, but... That revelation needs to come from a very specific place. Any guesses? Divine revelation. Not revelation like my friend told me. Not revelation like, hey, this is trending on whatever social media platform I'm on. Not revelation from media sources, from Hollywood, from popular opinion. A revelation from God. And so unless we get back to that source, uh, we're still going to have problems in what we transform into. <clears throat> so here's the verse. Uh, you may have heard this verse. It's very popular. It's typically translated, where there is no vision, the people perish. And since we're talking about vision, I thought I would start there. But I want to go to the translation that is, um, I don't say more accurate, because there's arguments against and for this. But this version, which is the NIV that we're reading today, is going to tie into this model and show us how we can work around this and end up more in the image of God. So here it is in the NIV. It says, uh, well, I'll just read it here. Where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint, but blessed is the one who heeds wisdom, wisdom's instruction. These are the words of God for the people of God, and for these words we are grateful. Where there is no revelation, meaning where God, where we have not had the revelation from God, that divine revelation, the people cast off restraint. The people don't perish in this division because they're just like, oh, I can't see God, I die. No, they perish because they cast off restraint. They have no rules, they have no guidelines, no boundaries. So you see things like, uh, let's just use some simple examples. Fire, good or bad thing? <laughs> right, it depends. If it's in the boundaries it's intended for, it's a great thing because it can warm you, it can cook your food. But if it's outside those boundaries, it can do a forest fire. Water, good or bad? It depends. If it's within the banks of the river, it's a great thing. But if you live in Florida right now, you might argue that it is not so good a thing. You get the point? There are boundaries that these things are designed to be contained in, just as there are boundaries that we are designed to be contained in as we live. And if we live in these boundaries because of the revelation of God, we'll be capable of doing great things for him. We'll be building his kingdom on earth. So where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. There are no boundaries anymore. And here's the thing that, that is easy to miss. Does this say... Where there is no revelation, Bill will cast off restraint? No. What's the word that it says? People. People. 
Sin is never just my sin. Sin is our sin because what I do impacts you and vice versa. And if we cast off restraint, people, societies are affected by this. Now, we may or may not be drastically impacted. We may not be wiped out of the face of the earth, but we will suffer consequences. I see that today in, in, in the polarization that we're experiencing. I see that today in the rudeness that, and the lack of respect that seem to be so prevalent. I don't know where that came from, but I suspect it's because we've cast off restraint somewhere. Now, you probably have many ideas about where that's come, come, come from, and, and maybe you even have ideas what we can do about it, but the fact remains that somewhere along the line, we have started to cast off restraint. And when that happens, people perish. Ironic that the serpent also said, surely you will not die. Well, they ate the apples. Did they die? Not physically. But what happened to their spirit? So you die in your spirit sometimes well before you die in your body. And if you're dying in the spirit and still living in your body, you are maybe an agent of this not-so-good transformation for the world. Like I said, I spent hours thinking about this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going or I'm going to spend all, all day on this, but let us not cast off restraint. So I want to take you to a time that was a little bit different. Um, I want to revisit um, some of the consequences because here's the other thing that we often don't get. When we talk about revelation and obedience, we think, well, I, I'm going to do what I want to do because it's just not that big a deal. I mean, so what if I don't follow everything God says? Big deal. Well, there are consequences, and there are transformations, like we said, and some of those consequences are not good. So I want to take you to a time in Israel's history, uh, and it's also probably a book that maybe you haven't spent a lot of time in. How many people have read the book of Habakkuk? Awesome. So uh, let me give you a little pre-load pre, uh, here, because Habakkuk is one of those prophets. It's, he's a fascinating guy. He's only got a few pages in the Bible, but he lives in a time when uh, he, he was a prophet to the southern kingdom. If you remember uh, the, the kingdom split in half, north and south. The north was overrun early on by the Assyrians, uh, and that was because, well, if you look at the model, they had a little obey, obedience problem, and they were transformed by an occupying nation. The south is following suit. Now, the south was made up of the tribe of Judah, and so when you hear in Old Testament, sometimes you'll hear Israel, that's the northern kingdom. Judah is the southern kingdom. What's significant about Judah? Anybody know? Jesus is the lion of Judah. Yeah, these are Jesus' people. This is the line that Jesus is going to come through, which had separated and was doing pretty good. And then Habakkuk notices a couple of things. And what it is that he notices is that people are committing injustice. People are becoming more violent. People are not obeying the Torah at the time. Sound familiar? That, that revelation was not from God anymore. It was from culture. It was from their desire to look like everybody else. Because if you got a kingdom over here and I got a kingdom over here, well, now I got to look better than you. This is the original keeping up with the Joneses. Or the however you would say that in, in Hebrew. <laughs> right? So they have some, some real issues about their behavior. And it's increased violence. It's injustice. But here's the thing that Habakkuk has the biggest problem with. The leaders who are supposed to be doing something about this have basically jumped ship. They're not doing anything. And it's just getting worse and worse. And so Habakkuk, uh, the, the interesting thing about him is he has conversations directly with God. 
and we get to, to tune in to one of those conversations right now. So to Habakkuk's credit, he tries to do this right. He calls out to God, and he's a little bit disturbed by what he's seen. So he does the right thing. He takes it to God, and this is what he says to God. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, and by the way, when you read the Bible and you hear the words, then the Lord replied, pay special attention because a revelation is about to happen. Write down the revelation. Make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. To cut to the chase, to give you the rest of Habakkuk, to his credit, he does what we should do. And when you see this, I will stand my watch, I will station myself on the ramparts, he's going to a higher place. Does that make sense? This is figurative and perhaps literal. He's going to seek God and say, what is the deal? God's answer says, write this down so that there's no confusion. There's no telephone game here. This is as clear as can be. Now, the thing that Habakkuk is told to write down is that this southern kingdom that has been doing so good is about to be overrun by the Babylonians. Now, the rest of some of this story is Habakkuk going, God, how can you do this? Do you understand who the Babylonians are? They're terrible people. They use people. They steal riches. They are, you talk about injustice and violence. You think it's bad now. It's about to get 10 times worse. And God says, yeah, that's what's going to happen. These consequences on the end of this disobedience or lack of obedience are about to get very severe. They're about to go into exile, just like the northern kingdom did to the Babylonians. The Babylonians were some of the worst people in, you, you can imagine. They did all kinds of things that were terrible. And God's about to subject them because of disobedience. Now, the good thing is that God says, this will come for a time. The Babylonians will have their way. But then, and almost within one generation, see, the north had it worse. They got overrun early. The south, just within one generation, there's going to be a, a thing that handles the Babylonians called the Persians, and you're going to get to come back to your land. My course correction is going to be about a generation long, and then we're going to be back at it. Now this time, I hope you'll obey, because I've made my revelation clear. This revelation that awaits the appointed time, this writing down this revelation, make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it, isn't that the story of us? Isn't that the Great Commission? It has been written down on a, well, it's not a tablet. We call it a book, or you call it a phone, so that a runner may take it. Go, make disciples of all the nations, teaching them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything that Christ has said. This is us. I don't know where we are as a nation, and sometimes this, sometimes this keeps me up at night. Are we in obedience? Is our revelation from God or from culture? Is the church shaping culture, or is culture shaping the church? Because there's only one way that this works for God's glory. And my prayer is that we get the divine revelation. My prayer is that we obey what we find in that divine revelation so that 
we may be transformed. And oh, by the way, if the bad news is that if one person sins, we all are affected by that, the good news is if we live in in obedience to God, then everybody is impacted by that. That's how we make disciples. That's how when we pray, may your kingdom come, may your will be done, that's what we're praying for. But are we taking the actions to make that happen? That's where it can get a little sticky sometimes. And that's where we need to pause and reflect on a regular basis. How are we doing? What is our revelation? Where is it coming from? If it's a divine revelation, am I following it to the best of my ability? And by the way, that's why we're in this thing together, because it's simple to understand, but hard to live. That's why we support one another, why we lovingly hold one another accountable. That's all, uh, nothing new under the sun. And not only is it written down, but it's written down plus for us, because we don't just have the Torah. We have the whole of God's story. We have how Jesus came down to live this story. We have not only Jesus' death and sacrifice that set us free, but Jesus' resurrection, which guarantees us something far, far greater and put a whole different timeline on this obedience thing. It's not a temporary thing. It's an eternal thing. So, the one thing that always fascinates me about these Old Testament prophets is that no matter how bad it gets, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get bad. By the way, if you've ever read the story, if you know anything about the Babylonians, it got really bad. And here's what Habakkuk says, even though it's going to get bad. Oops, I forgot to talk about consequences there. That's what we just talked about. So in Habakkuk 3, he says this, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, and there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, all impacts of being overrun by the Babylonians, by the way, Yet, there's that word. That word gets me every time. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. No matter how bad it looks, Habakkuk has the faith to know that God is going to return. God is going to return Israel to its rightful state. God is going to continue to provide a revelation that they can then follow and they can be transformed, made new again and again and again. That's the power that God has. So what do we do about this word, sir? How do we handle this in our modern context? So I got some ideas. Uh, The first half of our name is word. So let us be people of the word. We talk about serve all the time, and we just assume that, well, word is first, and you know the word. No, I mean know the word. I don't mean know about the word. I mean know the word. I mean live the word. I mean treat this as a divine revelation, because it is. And it is designed for our benefit, not just you and me, but for the world. It's to transform the world. So get to know the word. I'm going to challenge us to read the word. So there are many Bible apps on your phone. There are many reading plans you can find. Just Google Bible reading plan. There'll be a million of them. Pick one and start. Or in your community group, pledge to start reading the Bible, but read this word so that it begins to soak in. In the new year, uh, we're going to do a How to Read the Bible sermon series. I know some of you are thinking, oh, geez, that sounds almost as exciting as paint drying. But if it transforms your life, it will be... It, amazing 
right? And we'll do this together. So we're going to learn how to read the Bible. Uh, and then finally, this is the most important one because this is the one thing that we haven't gotten through in Habakkuk yet. Let God write that word on the hearts, on our hearts. It says this, another prophet, Jeremiah, says, this is the covenant, this is God speaking, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. That sounds pretty awesome to me. How about you? <laughs> Here's the challenge that we face. Culture's voice is louder than God's voice. Now, you may be thinking, yeah, Bill, that's not possible. Now, God is all-powerful. Now, the Bible tells us that it's a still, small voice that God speaks in. Culture's voice is louder. Culture's voice is ubiquitous, meaning it is everywhere. You cannot get away from culture's voice. And the advent of social media, phones, everything else makes it even more loud in our ears. And it is constant drip in your ear. So, yeah, culture's voice is louder than God's voice, but, there's always a but, God's voice lasts longer. It says this in Matthew, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Who said that? Jesus. I'm going to go with the quote from Jesus over a social media influencer. That's who I'm going to bet on, is this Jesus guy. So, yeah, culture's voice is louder. God's voice lasts longer. So what do we do about this? Well, I think it's time that we became people of the word. Do we want to be people of the telephone game? Or do we want to be people of the truth? Do we want to be people of the word that have this written in our hearts? And it designs, uh, it informs everything that we do? Or do we want to settle for life that's the same? We are called to be followers of Christ, not just for our benefit, but for the benefit of the world, so that the world may be transformed into his image. If we will do that, then life will be different. Now that's a vision worthy of word search. Will you pray with me, please? God, thank you for your vision. <clears throat> thank you for your revelation that has been made clear, but sometimes gets muddied by the things that we encounter in life or by the words that are spoken in our ears on a day-to-day -day basis. God, my prayer this morning is that you would pour out your Holy Spirit to open our ears, to hear what you have for us, to help us in our, uh, maybe our unbelief or our questioning, to help us when we're tempted to disobey because we have a better idea or a better way to do things. God, help us to lay everything down this morning especially, to be willing to follow where you lead because your revelation is clear. There's no doubt where you're headed. There's no doubt what you believe in, what's important to you. And God, it still boggles my mind that with everything that you have going on, you still know us by name, by numbers of hair on our head that level of detail it still boggles my mind that no matter what I do you still sent your son to die for me it still boggles my mind that your son gave his life willingly not even knowing if I would accept that gift or not now that's love that's vision that's you thank you God we love you in Jesus name Amen.